The Old Testament reading for this morning is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, in the 45th chapter, beginning verse 18 and continuing through verse 19. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For thus saith the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. In this morning's New Testament reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, in the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 24, continuing through verse 27, again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here ends this reading. From God's holy word. I don't care where you go today. In the store, the restaurant, on television, on the internet, anywhere and everywhere. You will hear folks regularly transgressing the third commandment from the 20th chapter of Exodus, that is, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Frequently, we paraphrase it by saying, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. But we do, and we have, though I don't think as liberally as now, if you go back half a century, can it be? There was a popular comedian who built a whole routine about the seven words that you can't say on TV. They were censored. Well, today, I, I don't think that you can make a TV show without those seven words. But even then, the name of our Lord and Savior wasn't on that naughty list of censored words. Folks, like my father, didn't give much of a second thought in the 70s, and they certainly don't today. I hear it all the time 
Yet, it always registers with me. I can't help but wonder why it is folks don't curse by taking the name of other religions, deities in vain. Could it be that they don't roll off the tongue so well? Maybe they're just not as well known. That's a tribute, I suppose. I rather guess, though, it's on account of how upset the adherents of other religions get when, when people do this. I'm certainly not advocating violence against those who malign our Lord and Savior, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'm simply observing that the God of the Christians seems to be the politically correct God to use as a verbal punching bag. As this rhetorical violence continues to play out, the gospel, according to Matthew, cautions it's not only the head of the movement who is going to come under attack with vulgar name-calling and vile speech and also with deeds, including acts of persecution. But those who would be his followers are also going to suffer as well. But right after the somber warning, Jesus reminds his friends and his followers that they need not fear. He doesn't say that things will go swimmingly on account of our allegiance to him. Oftentimes, he hints, just the opposite is going to be the case. One only needs to read the Gospels to see that the opposite would frequently be visiting Jesus as well. What he does insist on, though, is the faithfulness of the Father, his and ours. God will do for us the same that he does for his only begotten Jesus. He isn't necessarily going to prevent the trials that come from this world. As an American whose parents had immigrated from Ukraine recently observed of Christians there during the visit to the war-ravaged country, he said they're tough people. Showing their faith is neither, neither easy nor fragile. Now, most of us probably can't imagine the dreadfulness of daily life in a war zone or living under the rule of an occupying power. But the people of Jesus' day knew in their own land exactly what that was like. They were eager for an armed uprising that would liberate their nation once again, as the Maccabees had done against the Greeks a few generations before, an insurrection which was expected to be led by a Messiah. But Jesus wasn't going to settle for fighting against the authority of Rome, as their authority was simply a symptom of a sin-sick world. Jesus was instead focused on a unique mission to confront and defeat the even more insidious power that was the empire's greatest weapon of control, that of death. Ultimately, Jesus is going to protect us from that which is even more powerful than those who oppose his message on earth. In his words, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Look, I hate to break this to you, but we're all going to die. 
without exception, each and every one of us. This is as true today as it was in Jesus' day, despite the best efforts of some pretty smart people and well-funded corporations, there hasn't been a way found around that fact. Nor will there ever be, for God did not create us with that intent. It has been said that death is the great equalizer, for it doesn't discriminate. It comes to all without regard for race, creed, color, socioeconomic background, for some, it comes sooner than others. In due time, it comes to all. Living with the knowledge that Jesus has our backs, then, we ought to be living as those who are unafraid to die, armed with a confidence that comes from knowing the ultimate truth in Jesus. We then may serve him faithfully and boldly. The second president in our nation's history, John Adams, wrote, the magistrate is the servant, not of his own desires, nor even of the people, but of his God. Can you imagine? Years later, as his son, John Quincy, was concluding his term as a United States Senator from Massachusetts, he wrote in his diary, my political prospects are declining as my term of service draws near its close, I am constantly approaching to the certainty of being restored to the situation of a private citizen. For this event, I implore the spirit from whom every good and perfect gift descends to enable me to render essential service to my country and that I may never be governed in my public conduct by any consideration other and that of my duty. Not fear of public opinion, not fear of harm to future income prospects, not fear of scuttling potential corporate lobbying opportunities. How refreshing. John Quincy Adams has been described as the product of a Puritan upbringing, so I imagine that he had a pretty good understanding of both the gospel texts and their meanings. Particularly, that one should be less concerned about one's critics and more concerned about one's creator. For those who oppose you in this life will eventually all be silenced as all of us meet our end. But Jesus told his friend Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked her, do you believe? If we believe this claim of Jesus, then we ought to live as those unafraid to die. Put another way, with the confidence from knowing that God will always hold us in his hands, regardless of our circumstances, we can then live more fully for him while worrying less about ourselves. We have then no excuse for failing to speak the good news of the message we have received, to proclaim it widely and publicly, to shout it from the rooftops so that all may plainly hear. The world 
and the powers and the principalities which exert their temporal and temporary power herein have long employed intimidation and fear to rule the most powerful forces of death and destruction from the Romans through the Reichs to the Russians. They've all been or are being relegated to the pages of somber history books. But Jesus wants us to know that these agents and the evil spirits that are behind them shall never have the final word. On Good Friday, it certainly looked as though they would have. As the conspiracy against the Messiah reached its pinnacle and the seething anger of his opponents culminated in his public execution by crucifixion, but with the dawn on the third day would come vindication of his claims and proof that God had his back. And if so with Jesus, then so too with us. For those who have put their trust in him are already dead to the powers and principalities and alive to new life in Christ. As victors, then, we are to live triumphantly, not haughtily and certainly not pridefully, but confidently and obediently serving God and our fellow brothers and sisters. And that, that is the so what to the knowledge that God has our backs. As the choir sang in this morning's anthem, because he lives, all fear is gone. We need not fear all the world peddles for our consumption. For there is another narrative of truth authored by the one who is the truth and the way and the life. And that word speaks to us and tells us that he alone is the one that we should have a reverent fear of. In the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, God has demonstrated his ability to overpower all other forces that have been aligned against him once and for all. With such divine assurance as that, Christians are free. We are free to turn our attention away from the threatening words and acts of the world and speak freely of the goodness of God and His ways. We are free to live sacrificially, giving of our time, our talent, and our treasures, giving of ourselves to the work of Christ and His kingdom here on earth. We are free to confront the evil that exists still in this day, despite the possible cost or consequence, for God has our backs. As the people of such a God as this, I invite us to remember those covenant promises which have been renewed and reinvigorated in Jesus. In his letter to the church at Rome, the Apostle Paul concluded, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, so neither can anything separate us from his protection of our souls. The mortal body we will lose one day, but the same need not be the fate of our soul. Kept and guarded for eternity, we are beyond the reach of all threats and ills. So may the knowledge of the care 
and the shield of the Almighty ever guide our living for Him and our laboring for His kingdom. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.